Masterful. Masterful. Do you know, before we get into it, I learned an interesting fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, clapping at the start of podcast recordings is effectively useless. I need to apologize in advance for potential bad sound quality on my end. Oh, no. We have building works going on here at the moment. We're getting the house clad in stone, so there's, there might be hammering sounds in the background. And I'm really sorry, uh, listeners, about that. I can't do anything. Like, this is ongoing every day, so... Clad in stone. (laughs) So we just have to plow through it and I'll do my best to get rid of it. So hopefully no one will notice. But if it is there, I apologize. Just listen to Bill's side of things. Shall we do the show? Let's go for it. The first thing, Edgar, is... So what's going on with the channel? Yes, we need to talk about this. Again. Again. I feel like uh, many people have misinterpreted my intentions... So I need to clarify this. A lot of people have like sent me condolences and been like, oh, I'm so sad to see that it's over. At no point did I explicitly say that the channel is finished. That's really important. But you did call the last podcast end of Artifexia. What a question mark. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea is that I may still post stuff. And I mean, like, it would be very weird if I didn't post stuff ever again. It's just, it's a question of how regular the content will come. So it's not the end of all sort of artifactsian. It's just a incredible slowdown in production. Right. Okay, that's just very important to get that because I was getting an awful lot of messages about it. So just want to set the record straight. Also, I put out a video to this effect to, to, to inform the YouTube community. And in that video, Bill, I asked for people to tell me what it is they are here for, world building or conlanging. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I ran a poll, and boy, do I love running polls. Spreadsheets, Bill. I love spreadsheets so much. <laughs> I'm so happy when I get to make a spreadsheet. So I made a spreadsheet. I collected, I compiled all the data. I made a spreadsheet, and I thought I'd share the results with you. Just with me, and not with the audience. No, no, no one else is allowed to hear this. It's, 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 <laughs> it's, it's, it's secret. <laughs> so wh- how do you think it would have went? Like, what do you think the split would be? Do you think world building would win out conlanging? Well, I was reading the comments in the Reddit thread and some of the, the YouTube comments, so my answer is going to be biased by that. That's fine. I think world building won. Okay, do you think it would be a landslide? Not a landslide, no. Maybe 50% more than than conlanging got. So, like, 40-60. That is... Not how it went. Okay. Okay, so uh, we'll start from uh, the bottom and work our way up, right? We had 14.3% of people couldn't be bothered and are here for both. Okay. Right? Which I thought was valid. It's, it's, it's a valid data point. Now, is is both the same as either? Oh, uh, listen, here, I just put it all in the one camp. I didn't. I did, like, because I realized once I started compiling this, that you could divide this up into very, very fine categories. And I was like, I'm not doing this. I'm just, if, if, they, if the commenter had any sort of doubt as to what one they wanted to go for, they just got lumped in the eater camp. <laughs> okay. So 14.3%. Then we have 36.5% for conlanging, mm-hmm. which leaves us with 49.1% for world building. 
Okay, that wasn't a terribly bad guess on my part. No, no, you were you were you were close enough. You were close enough. For, what was world? What was Kanlangi? Thirty six point five, and world building was forty nine point one. The pie chart will be in the show notes for listeners to check okay. out. Okay, I was I was pretty close. Yeah, you're pretty good. You're, I was you know I was actually quite surprised because this this directly conflicts with the YouTube data. YouTube tells me that my Conlang videos are by far the most popular. Oh, interesting. And if I didn't run this poll, I, w- I would have classed my channel a Conlanging channel more than anything else, because that's what brings it, it brings in the uh, viewership. But no, apparently people are more here for world building. I don't know. Okay, so so Crazy. hold on. Did you only did you only go by the actual poll you linked? You didn't take data from the comments on anything? No, no, I took data from the comments. Oh, okay. In my idiocy, I, f- I didn't actually make a poll. I, like, went through it one by one and, like, manually compiled the data from the YouTube comments, the Reddit, and Twitter, and Facebook. There was one glorious comment, and I put it, I actually put it into the data, so it is statistically significant, that said that they were there for gangster rap. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, didn't want the con didn't want the world building. It was all about the gangster rap. When have we even discussed gangster rap? We uh, we have I have never gangster rapped on the videos. We have never discussed it on the podcast. Nothing. I don't know where that came from. And it was so left to feel hilarious that I was like, you're going in the spreadsheet, good sir. I mean I do love gangster rap, but I don't know. It's not a thing we indulge in, to be fair. No, no, no not not on the podcast. <laughs> uh so yeah, there you go. Pie chart. Now, another thing relating to the fallout from the channel thing is someone reported me on Reddit. Reported you? Someone, like, actually reported <laughs> me. And, and they were, and, and the way it works, apparently, I've never reported anyone on Reddit, is that you hit the report button and you give a reason why. So I looked at the reason, and the reason was because I'm sad. <laughs> <laughs> and did you, did you see... What user it was that did this? No, not at all. I just, I just laughed uh, a lot. Hold on, let me, let, let me check. I won't, I won't. Public- oh yeah, I see it here now. It doesn't say who did it. That's hilarious. <laughs> I was about to say I won't public shame, publicly shame anyone. Anyhow, that was hilarious. But can I just, just put it out to the, to like the wider viewership here and listenership? D- please don't report me if I do things that make you sad. Because it's kind of like, I don't know if there's penalties that uh, Reddit will impose on me, <laughs> but, but in case there is, like, please don't report me. I, I think since you're the mod, it should it should be okay, but I, oh. I, I guess it's, it's, a bad, it's a bad precedent to set, so yeah, please, please don't. <laughs> oh, so hi, they're reporting me, they're kind of like reporting me to myself. Functionally, yeah. Yeah, they're reporting me to the mods, and I'm the mods. <laughs> well, you're one of the mods. Bill, please don't remove my comment. Do what I want. <laughs> or remove my post. Yeah, I'm just going to lock everything that you post on, on Artifexian. You ban me from Artifexian. Bill Effexian now. Oh, man. Do you know what? There's a lot of love for Bill in the comments. And I think if it actually was Bill Effexian, I think we could see a spike in viewership. <laughs> but there'd be no more content because the other one actually does the content. <laughs> That's not true. That's not true, sir. I don't make any videos. Yeah, but you make the podcast with me. Yeah, but I don't make any videos, so we'd, we'd be we'd be losing out a significant amount of content. That's true. We'd be well to put it in a like horrible corporate way. We'd be restructuring our brand. Yeah, we'd be streamlining 
our supply chain. No, we'd be consolidating. That's what we'd be doing. Consolidating, that's it. Yeah, there we go. Corporatism, yeah. All right, anyhow, that is uh, that is all I have on the follow-up from the end of artifacts scene question mark fallout. <laughs> all right? You want to plow on to another topic there? Okay, so you've read some books recently that you want to talk about. Listen to. <laughs> Listen to some books. I don't, I don't, as much as this makes me sound like a philistine, I don't read. I have no time to read. It doesn't um, make you sound like a philistine. Uh, it does. I always feel a bit stupid-like not reading, because I really, like, I really genuinely don't read. The only thing I read is, like, research for the videos. But I've, mm-hmm. uh, like, I can't remember the last time I've sat down and read something long form. Like, I listen to things because I can multitask. Like, I can run whilst li- listening to a book. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, so I, I don't want to say read, because that makes me sound more intelligent than I actually am. I was listening to some books. What were you listening to, Edgar? I finished Wheel of Time. The first one. The first one. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, you know, just, just, sorry. Eye of the World. I finished Eye of the World. I finished the first book of the Mistborn trilogy, uh, uh, The Final oh, cool. Empire, isn't it? Uh, I think it's just called Mistborn. Okay, so I finished that first book, and then I started reading the first book of the Temeraire series. Oh, cool. I have reviews on all three. Would you like to hear them? Let's, let's do it in that order. So, Wheel of Time. Okay, Wheel of Time is a solid book. Cool. I don't think it's particularly stunning. It's, I think it's well written. It's intriguing. It's, it's not very ambitious. It's, it's okay. I'm not dying to read the second book. Okay. Yeah. And the guy, Loyal, is clearly uh, an ent, and he will always remain an ent <laughs> for You've me. You've been proven wrong on this point, Edgar. <laughs> I know. Oh, I got to the person who is, who you said who is ent-like. Um, I right. see what you, I see what you mean. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm refusing to accept anything else. I've just, I have created this imaginary world for myself where Loyal is an ent, and that's the way it is. I'm sorry. Your, your headcanon for Loyal is that he's an ent. Bingo, exactly. Okay. <laughs> so then I plowed on to Mistborn, all right? Mm-hmm. That book is incredible. You liked it? Oh, my God. Like, it's like crack. It's like literary crack. You just, it's so easy to digest, and it just mm-hmm. makes you want to, like, consume more of it. I'm literally dying to read the next one. Like, I can't wait for the next big run. So if I download it, I can listen to it. Mm-hmm. It's written really skillfully. It, the characters are really, really good and really interesting. And they're they're really slick and cocky. And there's a sense of humor to the whole thing. Like, it's not the serious, foreboding, Tolkien sort of fantasy. There's, like, mm-hmm. a bit of crack to it. Uh, the magic system's really good, if slightly cumbersome, I think. It leads to some cumbersome writing, because he constantly has to remind us what metals are doing what when they're fighting. Uh, okay, well, I, could, I could see that, yeah. But it's like, that's that's a small, small criticism. criticism. Like, I didn't feel like I was being burdened with exposition at any time. Mm-hmm. It's just if I had to put on the critical hat, I'd be thinking that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not great in terms of gender. You have, you have Vin... Uh, the mm-hmm. the main girl, uh, and then no one. <laughs> Not many other female characters in it. No, uh, there's one other named female character. I believe she's one one of the aristocracy. I think, and now that's a very very minor character. So I mean, it like, does not pass the Bechdel test. No, no. So. And I heard people in the comments say that Bran- uh, Sanderson has owned up to this and been like, "Yeah, I wasn't very." Uh, diverse in my writing and that's a thing I've I've addressed in later writings which I think is cool 
You know, if you yeah. make, make a mistake like that, you, all you can do is try and improve the next time. But I did, yeah, I did get this distinct feeling that the Mistborn world was just populated with men and no one else. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, overall, that book is amazing. I highly recommend it to everyone. It's just, it's, it, it, I, I think it's incredible. Now, Temeraire, Bill. What did you think of Temeraire? This book, Bill, is, now I realize that you like this and you, you this book is the most vapid nonsense I have ever come across. Vapid? Vapid. I was angry at the existence of this book as I was listening to it. And vapid I'm, how? Oh, it's just, it's so bland and like gentrified. Everything is like pomp English gentry. Like the dragons are like English aristocracy and the sailors talk like they're English aristocracy. It's like I was in a really boring reproduction of like Pride and Prejudice, like that sort of feeling. It's just that, and the language. Well, yeah, because that's that's the that's the era. Yeah, no, totally, totally right. Okay, <laughs> I, no, I totally get that, right? But it's it was so hard to like be enthusiastic about the world and the characters when they were shrouded in this language, and I felt like maybe just tone it down a little bit. Like you don't have to go off on huge, like like these huge like. I can't even, ah, I'm sorry, I can't even, it's so annoying, that book. Oh, it's just, oh, I swear to God, Bill, I hate, do you know how much I paid for the book, Bill? How much did you pay for the I book? I paid zero for the book, right? Okay. I feel ripped off. Well, it was still an investment of time. Oh, gee, I just, I, I hate that book so much, man. I'm so sorry. You don't have anything to be sorry for. Well, I kind of felt bad listening to it, because it's kind of like, Oh, I don't, I don't enjoy this at all. Like, it's not just a case of like, it's not like I don't enjoy it. Force Awakens style, I don't enjoy it. It's like this is actual nonsense. <laughs> I'm so sorry. And the dragons were like little English people, and oh, it's just, and nothing happens in the book, Bill. <laughs> oh. Have you finished it? I uh, no, I have not finished. I have maybe a half an hour left of listening on it. Um, okay. I am not finishing it. I can't. I, I just, I've, I've no enthusiasm towards this book. Nothing about this is making me like. I'm, I like, like I said, like I said to start, I'm actually angry at the fact that this has consumed some of my life, and I'll never get it back. <laughs> so there you go, book review. Like you found the dialogue. The dialogue was horrible. It's just, it's just weighty. Uh, it's just I heavy. Didn't find that at all. Uh, yeah, oh, it's just, oh man, it's like it was like trudging through treacle and it was just kind of like come on just stop talking stop with your words and your oh it's just, oh, i don't i can't i you know what i'm gonna do okay, actually? don't read master and commander <laughs> Maybe, or like any actual like jane austen or anything <laughs> well actually you see i have been to like jane austen plays right and i find them okay like maybe they work well as plays but like the dialogue is much more heavy in those, I find, than in Temeraire. Oh, Lord. Okay, well then, I, yeah, I'll never read it. Maybe, maybe in plays, they've done what I'm uh, advocating for in that they have toned it down or streamlined it to make it work on stage for a general audience. And I think that's what you need to do. Like, I think, uh, I, I'm sure there's people out there who are like hardcore into this era and they're like, you know, angrily writing emails at me. But I think most people aren't. And if you want to get them enthused about that era and that aesthetic, you need to, like, gradually bring them into it. And not, like, 
bombard them with all of this nonsense. Like, it's just... Oh. It's not nonsense. I Well, I thought it was nonsense because so much of it could have been expressed in so... Like, it can be expressed in one fewer words and more elegant dialogue. But it was just like, there was a lot of pomp about how they phrase things and how they talk to one another. And there is a, there's a scene which, uh, when the dragon, your man who's riding the dragon brings it like home to his estate or something like them you meet his wife uh and they all have a let's they don't have a wife or what do you meet a female character and he like invites her out to to see the dragon and there's like okay yeah, yeah. let's all meet the dragon and that entire thing is just way overwritten like everyone talks so abnormally and the the whole setup is so contrived and it's just, I just, and it could have been like, it could have been, you could have expressed that all so much easier and so much concise, so much more concisely. So, you know, you can move events on, but it's slow and it trudges and, oh, I'd never recommend a book to me again, Bill. <laughs> and it's, and it's, if, and it, if this is, if this is how you, go, how you're going to speak to me. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it's and such an amazing premise like Napoleonic era with dragons and it is wholly squandered it's, you could write such amazing things and the fact that like the dragons are sentient you could write up a whole thing about like the idea of what we consider human and like are these dragons non-human animals or non-human sentient species or are they just Livestock. The series very, very much does that. Okay, well, that's good that it goes into that. But it's a bit of a shame that you have to wait more than one book. <laughs> like, you could have done that straight from the get-go. Like, as the dragon is hatched, you could immediately have people going, this is sentient. No, it's not. It's an animal. No, it's not. It's a machine of war. And you could have that conflict. But it's like nothing. Every, any sort of opportunity for conflict conflict just completely dissipates and we're left with lots and lots of boring dialogue. And then the dragon... That feel really contrived to me to have that, like, at the start because it's... Like, while the, the premise is a, is a, a, a rather singular event, it's still, like, you know, dragons are a thing that exists. We don't debate the... Like, we don't have those kind of debates over things that just, like, happen and are normal things that happen, you know? Example, we have debates in the real world about, say, dolphins and what role they play. And maybe we should consider them more than animals. We have these debates with creatures in that world. And, I mean, like, isn't isn't fiction meant to be sort of, or one aspect of fiction is that it, like, holds a mirror up to our world and makes us examine ourselves and our world? Like, this would have been a really good opportunity to do that and to bring in themes that affect our world. but. They, she she doesn't. Is it a she who wrote the book? Naomi Watts? Yeah. Naomi Watts. But Naomi Novik. N- Novik. She she just doesn't. And I know, I felt really bad about that. Counter to this, like we have Mistborn. Like so much of Mistborn, there's like commentary about the real world in it. And it's not contrived. Like you don't go, oh, here's a lesson on Newtonian physics by Kelsier. But you get a lesson on Newtonian physics by Kelsier and it works perfectly okay. You know? Hmm. I think I just want more layers to it. I, it it was one dimensional and very it's very British. <laughs> I, well, yeah, it and, is going to be very British. And then, and then the, the, the the dragon, like, there's a whole scene where the dragon reads with with is it Lawrence 
Like they just yeah. Lawrence and the Dragon, they're chilling, reading, and it's just the most boring. Pre- it's like ah, oh. pretty sweet. <laughs> but, but it's so boring, Bill. It's just it made the dragon seem so boring to me, and it's kind of I imagined it sitting there in like a in like a top hat and suit with little a little monocle reading its little book, and I was like, I hate you, dragon. I hate every fiber of your being. I don't care. <laughs> Stop this book. Don't be uh, mean to Temeraire. I'm sorry. I just, I'm, and I'm not. I'm, I meant the dragon, like specifically the dragon <laughs> as a character, not the book. Oh Jesus! Like oh, I, I can't even. Anyhow, I, I'm not. So for, like ten out of twelve. No, like I, I'm not exaggerating this bill. Like I would be hard pushed to give it maybe a, a two or three out of twelve. <laughs> like no, I really am. Like I just, I've no, I feel no compassion for any of the characters. I don't know half of them. I don't understand half of them. I know, no compassion for the dragon or the setting, and it's just oh, it's, no, no, not for me, not for me at all. I recommend everyone go off and download it and read it, and and tell me why I'm wrong in in the comments. I'm not saying no one ever read this, but for me, this was just it was it really was vapid and indulgent. <laughs> Shall we move on? So, why was uh, creating a writing system a good video? Okay, this is the next item on our on our follow up. Uh, so. Creating a writing system, my video, the mm-hmm. the second last video I made, links in the doobie-doo for everyone, or links in the show notes, that was really well received by you and by the greater community. I had a disproportionate amount of kind of, wow, this was stunning sort of comments. And mm-hmm. whilst I was making this, I thought this was an epic disappointment of a video. Really? And I was kind of, not that I was ashamed, but I was kind of like, this really hasn't hit the heights that I thought a video like this could, uh, could hit. And yet, and yet that's not the, the sentiment of you and the, the artifacts you populace. So I want to, I, I want to ask why, like, why am I wrong? Why did you like this video? Um, it was, it was just, it kind of covered all the bases there was things I was thinking throughout. I was like, oh, I hope he covers this. And he did. And there was th- questions. I was like, oh, well, is this going to take X into account? And it did take it into account. And it was very kind of fair and even. It didn't favor anything in particular. And it was, it looked nice. Yeah. I, I just, and it was just like full of good information. Well presented. Okay. So I hate to like let everyone see how the sausage is made here, but my my thing is that I I didn't think it it contained good information. Not that like I was like neglectful and just put down any old stuff. It's just that the whole the whole concept of doing a video like this, a single video like this, one cannot put in the information. Like for example, I found myself having to ask questions a lot as opposed to explain. Like I listed off a whole bunch of questions. Like does your writing system use capitalization? If so, why? Is there punctuation? If so, why? Is there a number system? If so, why? And I felt like that was a letdown, not a plus point. Do you know what I mean? Like, I didn't tell, I didn't tell you why. I didn't give you information why. I just asked it. And for me, that seemed... I don't think there is an, an answer to those questions. Right, well, that's but what it... I mean. That's what I mean. When I was making the video, I was kind of like, there is no answer to this. Like, this is a video that is just going to be a series of questions. And I felt like I was making it. When I was making it, I was like, that's not great. I can't tell you something new. I can merely just ask questions of you. 
and then I felt like I don't think that's we... a bad thing at all. Okay, but I, yeah, no, and there's nothing wrong with asking questions of people when trying to instruct them. But I think my problem was that everything had to be a question. And I felt like, well, I don't think we've anyone's learned anything here. But again, people on, on the in the comments were all like, this was the most informative thing I've ever seen. And I just a disconnect there. I just can't. I don't know. I don't understand. Yeah, it's because you can't you can't answer those questions for people. The only thing you can do is is present these are the challenges that exist and these are the things you have to consider. So I think by by posting those and being like, you know, it, it makes people question the assumptions that they have in the languages they've learned. And thereby kind of free them from only thinking in terms of the languages they know when creating a new language. So it's really useful in that sense. Do you think I should rely more on that? Because for me, the, my knee-jerk reaction to this is, no, this is wrong. I have to explain what to do, as opposed to just let you figure out what to do. Would you be happy in the future to see more conlanging videos that are full of, like, questions and directing people to their own research? I mean... For the other earlier ones you've done with OA were, were good because they showed your thought process and it, it showed the process of you doing them. And they, they serve different roles, I think. It's it's like it, when you're giving a, a very specific instruction or talking about a very specific thing like how to choose the sounds, just posing the question, what sounds do you want, isn't really sufficient. Right. I think. Yes. No, you, no, you're dead right, yeah. But when you're doing something like you know, talking about the concept of creating a uh, a writing system in general. You didn't ask the question, what writing system do you have? You had specific questions that interrogated that, that concept. Like, how, what direction does it go in? Do you have capitals? Do you have punctuation? What type of, of writing system is it? So it's... It's a very detailed form of interrogating it, which I think is is useful. It, it's it's going to vary on a video by video basis. Yeah, no, of course, but there are times where I have noticed throughout making these videos where I'm like, I could just put down a question here and let everyone figure it out for themselves, or I could explain it. And I suppose my thing in asking you this is, if if you get to one of those situations, is it better to lean on the questioning thing? But you make a good point, though. It's like question at the micro level not at the macro level so yeah do your broad explaining bring it down and when you feel like oh like this is a little bit too much information in one video perhaps start asking questions and directing people away and then yeah. actually now that i think out loud, where you get to the point where you feel like you'd be actually directing other people's creativity if you were to give an answer there then don't give an answer and be like you know, this is a question, or just spell it out that this is a decision I've made, there's no reason that this has to be uh, yeah. uniform for all languages. That's 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 a very valid point, actually. Because yeah. it's a very different thing to building planets. Yeah, no, this doesn't this doesn't feature at all in the world building series. Like it will it will feature when you talk about culture. Like I'm very worried about the culture of world building, because it's kinda like it's all questions. You know, how do you set up a uh, Stone Age civilization. Like, there's no rules. Like, you just have to ask tons and tons of questions. And before talking to you here, I felt like that's neglectful on my part. But you've 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 um, perked me up here. I'm kind of like, you know, th th it's okay. Yeah. But but the the hard world building, like the hard sci-fi uh, sci world building, like building planets and galaxies, like that's just maths. Um, yeah. So there is no but there is th no. Question. This other stuff. This 
this is humanities. Right, exactly. You know, there's a postmodern element to it. Man, you really love that word. You always use the word postmodern. What does postmodern actually mean? You always say that and I never understand it. Postmodern. Why have you only like waited until now to ask me? Well, it's just, I don't know. Something else came up every <laughs> other time. Uh, I always assume it just means like a, a school of thought that started after some arbitrary point that we call modern times. Uh, subsequent or Subsequent to or coming later than that which is modern. Relating to or characterized by postmodernism, especially in being self-referential. I don't get it. What's postmodernism? Okay, so you you said I always thought that it meant, and then you Googled it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, like I gave you what I thought it was, and then I Googled it, and I'm I'm still none the wiser. I'm not really qualified to give a a coherent explanation of it. Yeah, self-reference would be part of it. So, fictional works, acknowledging that they're fictional and kind of playing with ideas of their own fictional nature. But also, when you move away from fiction, it's to do with some knowledge not being absolute and things not having single absolute frames of reference, I think would be a good way to put it. And a a rejection of kind of total empiricism for, for some types of knowledge. Yeah, none of that makes sense to me, Bill. I, I think I might need to read up on this in my own time to uh, finally fully understand what it is you're saying. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I probably didn't give a very good explanation because I've never done any kind of formal thing in this. It's just what I've picked up from talking to people and, and reading and stuff. So there may be some inaccuracies or there may be uh, things I've left out in what I said. Expect, expect follow-up. I'll, I'll read up on it and I'll, I'll point out where you're wrong in the next episode. Thanks, Edgar. I appreciate it. <laughs> That's what I'm here for, buddy. <laughs> Anyhow, so, uh, yeah, no, thank you for uh, your comments there about the video, Bill. That's actually really helpful. There's one thing that I that I didn't like in the video. Oh. Oh, no. Yeah. Are you going to do a temeraire on me here and just lay into me? <laughs> <laughs> so, there was a bit where you said that, you know, consider how the, the like, aesthetics of the script uh, reflects the culture. So, you know, if it's an evil script, culture, maybe it has a spiky script. I know exactly a- what you're going to say. What am I going to say? <laughs> Don't paint entire cultures uh, with one brush. Not even that. I just thought it was, like, uh, I thought it, it stuck out because you were talking about a kind of a, a literary thing there. That, you know, you're talking about, oh, if, if you're portraying these guys as evil, make them look like this. Whereas the rest of it wasn't taking that approach at all. It was just about making... A language, it was, or about making a script. So it was a very different kind of instruction to the rest of it. I still think equally valid, though. No, I don't. <laughs> well, I mean, some people will be creating scripts for, like, video games or comic I, I books. Guess, I guess it just, I, I felt that would have... It was, it was a very different kind of instruction, so it stuck out. And I guess it, 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 it would have settled a little better with me if you'd kind of signposted more that it was purely an aesthetic thing and that it wasn't as real as the other instructions. Okay. Because the way it came across was that it was, you know, as much a real-life thing as, you know, deciding on to use an abjad or a featural script. Okay, yeah, yeah. I suppose I did, like, it was preceded with, like, a timeline of the of how writing evolved on Earth. So I talked about, like, the Bronze Age and things like that. And then it's yeah. like, 
Yeah, okay, no, that that's a fair point. I still think it was a valid point, but I think, yeah, maybe my portrayal of it and how I inserted it wasn't great. Um, I, I, I take that bit. Um, mm-hmm. that's, that's very minor. I was worried there. I thought you'd be like, and here's your central point, demolished. <laughs> Refuted. <laughs> Hang your head in shame. Banned from the internet. Uh, but in, in any case, uh, I same question. I want to pose the same question to the listenership, to Artifexia. Uh, let me know why you liked it. If you were one of those people who were like, man, this was a great video, explain why, because I think that's beneficial information for me as a creator going forward. So uh, hit me up on email or in the Reddit. Cool. Cool. All right, shall we plow on? Let's go ahead. With final item of follow-up, I believe. Yes, the last thing we have to follow up is the review of Oracle by Savant. Did I get that the right around, or is it Savant by Oracle? I think, it, I think the albums are. You know, yes, the artist is Savant. Let's take that all again. <laughs> yes, so the final item of follow-up that we have is the review of the album Oracle by Savant, which was uh, selected from our big list of music suggestions from, from readers. Listeners. Listeners. I'm sure they read some of the things as well. I mean, they might read the show notes every now and then. Yeah. <laughs> Bill, has anyone ever uh, told you how good you are at transitioning? Yes. <laughs> okay, so, Savant. Let's talk Savant. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? This isn't really my kind of music. It's not something I tend to listen to, so I don't know how to listen to it, if you get me. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, there, were, there, was, there were certain things I liked about it, but overall, I wasn't a huge fan. Okay, I think I'm in a similar boat as you. It's not my usual music. It was, it was good, it was fine. And yeah, I, f- I kind of found it hard to critique it because I was like, I don't understand the context of, of this. Like, it's it, they're nice sounds and yeah. the tunes are great. I, it was the music I listened to while I was answering tons of comments. So it was real good, like, head-bopping music to kind of plow mm. power through, like, uh, tasks like that. There was bits in it that I found that were uh, instrumentally quite interesting. Like, there was quite, yeah. like, instrumentally dense bits. They, they were nice. But overall, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, it's not just these. That's the problem. Do you like Justice? I, I do. Well, I, I like them, but I can't say that I know an awful lot about their stuff. Oh, I didn't know you liked Justice. Yeah, yeah. Their music is dense and interesting and well-crafted, mm-hmm. and the mixes are always very, very good. So, yeah, I found myself thinking, why isn't this Justice? I want to listen to Justice. <laughs> I, I, I was the same. I, there, were, there were moments that I found interesting. There were, like, specific bits where I was like, oh, that, that's an interesting sound. This album's from 2013, mm-hmm. and it sounds a lot like it's from kind of 2010 to 2013. There are a lot of whoops. <laughs> I don't mind that. I, I think that's fine. It's an aesthetic I never really got into. It never really made a lot of sense to me. For me, there is not enough whoops. Uh, <laughs> like, if you're going to do the whoop stuff, you're going to need to go, like, full bro step uh, and really make that a real dominant feature. But it was kind of like, oh, okay, so they're doing, like, orchestral textures here. And then we have some wubs coming in. And I'm like, mm-hmm. wait, no, hang on. We're either doing the just DC sort of orchestral work sort of thing or the wubs. We're not kind of doing both in a sort of like, in a, in a sort of weak sort of way. Mm-hmm. A thing, another thing I didn't like about it was the insertion of spoken word stuff. Really? Yeah, that that stuff that stuff can easily go very wrong, I think. I don't know if it went wrong here, but I was kind of on edge thinking about it. It's a thing that makes you wary. 
Yeah, it is. Because it can be very kind of like teenage angsty, sort of like the world is corrupt. Listen to this guy talking about the corruption of the world and, you know, global capitalism, world banks, <laughs> that sort of thing. It can be done really, really well, but at the same time, it can come off as like almost like full aggressive 90s. Uh, yeah. Which is something I, I I worry about deeply. It wasn't that bad in this. Like I didn't mm. I didn't feel the need to turn it off. But I I, I thought just that's the thing I want to put out there. It's something that yeah I, I worry about every time I hear it. But uh, additionally, the other thing I was going to say on this is uh, there's a lot of like eight bit stuff. Yeah, a lot of eight bit and lo fi kind of sounds. I liked I liked those like moments sonically. I want to ask I, I want to ask Artifexia. Is there anyone? out there who can make these sounds because on M theory, we have made the decision to be instrument agnostic in that when we demonstrate sounds in the videos, we don't use a particular instrument. We decided Mm -hmm. to use eight bit sounds. Problem is I can't craft something that actually sounds eight bit. Like I can craft a sine wave and whack an effect on it, but it never sounds truly eight bit. So I was wondering if perhaps the uh, OP for Savant, maybe he or she is into this stuff and makes this stuff. Can you let me know how to do this? Or anyone in Artifacts, because this is actually genuinely very, very beneficial to me. Mm-hmm. So I just want to put it out there. But anyhow, so overall, do you want to give a thumbs up or thumbs down to Savant because you don't do number systems? Um, I, I don't want to do that either. <laughs> um... There's there's a couple of bits I, I a couple of bits that I like that I want to pick out. Oh sorry yeah yeah we shouldn't shut it down just that go for it Bill. There was some um, there was some good bass in the song Valkyrie. There's a good song called Reggaetron which had a kind of a cool Spanishy guitar bit, um, but it didn't have any reggae or anything that sounded <laughs> reggae derived to me which confused me a little. And the last song I quite liked it was just a straight pop song as opposed to the dance the dancing oh, kind of yeah, stuff. Oh yeah yeah. That was one of my favorite moments, and it, the ending was really good. I thought the way that song ended was class. Um, overall, I felt that this wasn't really much of an album. It didn't hang together as a, as a coherent work. Yes. It was just a big collection of songs. Yes. And they all had similar structure. Well, they mostly had the very similar kind of structures with similar sort of dramatic profiles. Like, so there's like a a bit and a you know an instrumental bit and then a build up bit and then a kind of a drop mm. and all of the songs kind of felt like that so it was kind of hard to tell one song from another yes uh, i'm with you on that definitely there were definitely bits that if i was like in a club which i wouldn't be but you know <laughs> um that that would like, be an effective club song but it's you know didn't really hang together for me for for an album kind of experience. Okay, yeah, no, that's I, I can, I can dig that. I can dig that. Yeah. So overall, overall positive, negative experience or meh experience. What do you think? I, I, I just go for kind of. I mean, meh sounds kind of harsh. Okay, uh, average experience. Yeah, like it was, it was an experience. I, I don't regret it. Okay, all right. I, I'm the same way. Um, I haven't been won over by it. I'm not like, oh my god, I must go listen to more of this stuff. It wasn't mm-hmm. terrible. It definitely wasn't terrible. Uh, it was good. Yeah, it was good. I need to know more about the context to truly enjoy it. But, but yeah. Yeah, I'd say the same. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, do you want to whack out your dice? Oh, sure. Yeah, because we have, we have to do this. Every month, Bill. Every month. 
until one month where we get something truly terrible and we're just like, no more. We can't do this anymore. We can't run the risk. <laughs> okay, how many items do we have? So, a number between 1 and 35. Rolling 1d35. 15. 15. Okay, so, infected mushroom, army of mushrooms. Okay, now which one is the... Infected mushroom is the band. Oh, do you know these? I know the name. Okay, infected mushroom. I can't remember if they're, like, some kind of dance thing, or if they're, like, a stoner metal kind of thing. Uh... Psytrance, yeah, yeah, they're electro kind of thing. Okay, God, this the, the random generator is very heavily leading us down the electro path. Or maybe coincidence. Maybe everyone yes. has just <laughs> yes. Maybe everyone has just left. Uh, dance could be dance and dropkick Murphys <laughs> and black metal. We know we know or at least one of our fans is a big black metal head. Well, we do, we do, we do, and I think uh, that per- that person who knows who they are are probably responsible for about ten entries in this list. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyhow so just to reiterate it'll be all be in the show notes anyways but Infected Mushroom uh, is the band and the album is Army of Mushrooms and all of this on Spotify and everything and all of this will be in the show notes excellent cool what's up next Bill what's up next is taking a break I have been writing I suppose creating a synopsis for the novel that I will never write. Good. Uh, yeah. This is... And the whole point of this is that we're going to talk about what I wrote and hopefully that will get a discussion going in, in the Reddit and things like that. Mm-hmm. To put this in context before we start talking about it, I have written a synopsis for the first seven chapters of the novel that I will never write. It is a reaction to reading Eye of the World. Okay. So I so remember my complaint was that Eye of the World was so similar to Lord of the Rings, like almost beat for beat. Okay, yeah. So I decided to write my own thing that is Eye of uh, very similar to Eye of the World, almost beat for beat, just for the crap. <laughs> as a way and I as a sort of like fun sort of like let's get to know Eye of the World a little bit better because it 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 made me reread the chapters and really think about what's going on in each of them. So you're you're writing fiction as a way of interrogating Eye of the World. So you're you're writing fanfic. I am. This is this is totally fanfic. Like and this is not meant to be good. Right? I want I I need to state this clearly. I don't want people to be like, oh he thinks this is good. This is just meant to be a bit of fun and to enable a bit of conversation on the podcast and to talk about writing and the construction of fiction. Like, this is not my magnum opus. I understand that it's crap. <laughs> so that needs to be made clear. Uh, yeah, like, I understand the first ten chapters of Eye of the World like nobody's business. Like, I have almost, like, perfect memory of everything that goes on in those ten chapters from analysing it to, to create this. So, that's the context behind so that. So each chapter is, in fact, the same chapter, as the same beats as in Eye of the World? Have you mirrored the structure that closely? I Yeah, I've tried to mirror the structure that closely. The, there's some things that happen in Eye of the World that are would be entirely superfluous to this. So, I've, right. I've written seven chapters worth of synopsis. 
based on the first 10 chapters of Eye of the World. So I had to yeah. drop some because there's just a little bit too much in Eye of the World. Yeah, yeah, because there's some chapters where it's like Rand meets his friends or yeah. you meet the Glee Man or whatever, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And I don't intend, I don't have as many characters, so I don't need to set up that much exposition at the start. Um, mm. So I suppose a fun game while we talk about this will be for you, Bill, maybe, to try and identify who is who. Is who. Like, what characters in the novel that I will never write are uh, analogues of Eye of the World characters? So am I, am I to talk about them from the point of view of the, like, na- use the names in your synopsis and what c- corresponding name is in Eye of the World? Yeah, like, if it just, as we're talking, if you're kind of like, hang on, Bob there, he's clearly Rand. Like, that'd be fun to see whether or not you can, oh, okay. you can see the same things I've, I've seen. Because maybe I've written something that is in no way linked to Eye of the World. I think it is. But we'll see. Uh, and also, before I plow in, the entire synopsis of the first seven chapters, as usual, will be in the show notes. So I kind of encourage people to pause now and read yeah. over it and then come back and listen to us talk about the nonsense Edgar has been writing for the past, like, two or three weeks. Okay. <laughs> cool. All right. So uh, do, do you want to start then with your analysis of my magnum opus? <laughs> Okay, so what we have here is, um, in chapter one, mm-hmm. main character two, who doesn't have a name in the context of this synopsis yet, returning to their home, carrying a bag of stolen goods, and there's a, an, a, an event happening in their home, in their, their neighborhood, mm-hmm. and they meet their grandmother, and it kind of sets up the, the setting. Um, it gives you an introduction to the, the community that the character's from. Uh, the, the character tells their grandma about things they've seen on the, on the way home. A police presence and mysterious people, sinisterly mm-hmm. dressed individuals. This, that's kind of the, the, the gist of it. Yeah, it's They come a- home, they tell things that happen. You were introduced to a couple of characters. It's an exposition, uh, exposition chapter, definitely. Mm-hmm. Can you see where that relates to Eye of the World? Yes, the first chapter of Eye of the World is Rand and Tam travelling into the village. Exactly, yeah. And so when Rand when... sees uh, a mysterious horseman. Uh-huh. I think. So I guess grandma is Tam? No, she's not she's not directly related to Eye of the World. Uh she is there oh, okay. she's there to enable some of the further chapters. She doesn't have a, an analogous character in Eye of the World. Okay. So MC two is Rand. Kinda, yes. Yeah, yeah. MC2 is Rand, Grandma's no one in particular, and then the hood is Emmonsfield, is the village in either world. Exactly. Cool, yeah. Where it starts. So uh, a, co- a meta commentary here from the creator <laughs> is that, so this is like a urban cyberpunk fantasy. Okay. Uh, or mm, science fantasy, maybe. The city in which this occurs, I, I'm going to model off Seoul uh, in Korea. This sort of homogenous, huge, concrete, high-rise city that just goes on forever. Okay. Is Seoul huge? Seoul is, yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely massive. And it just, it blends with other cities as well to form one gigantic, like, megalopolis. Conurbation. The what? A conurbation. What's a conurbation? That thing. That thing. 
Irish tub. Where it's a load of cities together. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. So it's massive and it looks all the same. I might include one of my pictures from my holiday and you'll see that every single high-rise building, for the most part, it's just the same building over and over and over again. So that's what I want, what I, what I want to present as the city. The hood, I want to kind of model off Grove Street in GTA 5? 4? No, San Andreas. <laughs> it's going to be model of Grove Street. <laughs> yeah. I, there's, That's brilliant. There's this kind of cool aesthetic I like whereby, and it happens in Final Fantasy VII as well, whereby you have like super modern city, but then you have like really poor slum sort of thing, but like it's nice and there's character to the buildings and they're kind of old yeah. and rickety and it's more about the people than it is about the structures. That brings me two points. One, which which I actually wrote down as I was reading your synopsis. Okay. And another which is based on something else we discussed away from the podcast recently. I'll, go, I'll, I'll say that first. So Grove Street, right? Mm. I played a bit of GTA V. I managed to get it working on my computer. Okay. Man, Grove Street. It's baller's territory in GTA V. What? In, in GTA V. Like GTA, uh, GTA V. Which one's GTA V? That's the newest one, isn't it? Yeah, with Michael and Trevor and Franklin. Yeah, yeah. There's a Grove Street in that. There is a Grove Street, yeah. Oh. Now, the map isn't exactly the same as GTA San Andreas, of course, but, like, Grove Street is there, and, like, the end of the, the cul-de-sac looks, looks identical, pretty much. I never noticed that. Yeah, because you can buy you can buy a, a business called Grove Street Garage. I never bought businesses in that game. That just didn't work. Screw that. <laughs> Well, if you go to the far end, yeah, it's basically all of the houses from the, the cul-de-sac where you live in San Andreas, but it's baller's territory. Really? Yeah, the, the Grove Street families don't exist anymore. Oh, no, ma- that's not cool. Heartbreaking. I know, it's all about the Grove Street families. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, so what's your second point? Is the, the based on the themes of cyberpunk and based on the, the description in your synopsis... Hmm. Are the these characters that we are we're, we're seeing in the synopsis meant to be from a, an oppressed or a minority community? Yeah, yeah, they're, they're yeah. essentially rebels. They're they're the people mm. fighting the government. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. sorry, I should have. I never stated this. People who read the, the document will know this, but for people who don't want to read it, this is basically riffing, riffing off the idea of dagger. Uh, so this is a story about X and the whole like politics between the government and the rebels and so just just so everyone knows yeah. what's going on but yes these are the, people the setting that we've come up with in, in a, a couple of the previous podcast well that you've come up with in a couple of the previous podcasts. exactly so I've just I've put that into the eye of the world mold to see what comes out the other side cool so yeah so that's uh, that's chapter one basically just a uh, exposition chapter get to know the place and get to know a few of the characters okay alright so chapter two so the watch which I guess is some kind of group of people from the neighborhood. Mm, like influential people who may, who call the shots about what happens in the neighborhood. But not state power. No, no, no. So just like John down the road, who's been around for ages, has all the local knowledge, go talk to him when we have yeah. issues about the community. Yeah. So they're the village council from Emmonsfield. Bingo. Yeah. The watch gradually files into Grandma's house. There's two people that the main character doesn't recognize. They go outside to 
uh, leave. They, they leave and go outside to join the party. Uh, they grab a drink, sit atop a high wall, and listen to the musicians play. The Osteomancer arrives. So the Osteomancer is the Gleeman. The Osteomancer is not the Gleeman. Is not the Gleeman. Is not the Gleeman. Oh no, the Osteomancer will be Moraine. Is not Moraine. Oh. <laughs> the Osteomancer is Padon Fane. Okay. Yeah, I had to drop uh, the Gleeman because there's too many okay, characters so in either world. <laughs> I was kind of basing that on the next the next chapter in chapter three. The, the Gleeman ha- or the Osteomancer has a, ha- performing a magic show with a backdrop of colorful displays and and telling stories. Yeah, that kind of like the Gleeman. And that no, but that's what Padon Fane does. He does. I get that he doesn't put on a show, but he tells of the outside world. Yeah. So, but anyway, anyway, back to back to chapter two. So, well, uh, there's nothing, nothing really anything else in chapter two. Yeah, I suppose there's not much to talk about there other than the connection. Yeah, it's a setup. Yeah, a setup for the Osteomancer. The thing about the Osteomancer I want to point out is uh, if I ever write this book, uh, I want to make it so that all the magical powers in the world may or may not exist. Uh, have you ever heard of the idea that the Force isn't real in the Star Wars universe? Have you ever heard that, Bill? I have not. Okay, so there's a whole group of people who think that there actually isn't any force in the Star Wars thing. It's all just kind of like sleight of hand and, you know, duping people into things. Like, there is actual no power. And Jedi are basically just really skillful con men. How do they get the X-Wing fighter out of the swamp? It's a flawed thing, right? But there are these people who think that, right? But I like that idea. I like the idea that the magic may or may not exist. So this Osteomancer performs things in his little magic show in Chapter 3 that either could be magic or under a different interpretation could just be like sleight of hand. Uh, right. So and that hap- that's going to stay for all the like ex soldiers later on. They can like perform like almost inhuman feats of strength. Is that because yeah. they're souped up with X, or is it because they're just really strong? Yeah, because they're roided to the gills. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so nothing is kind of no one is given like uh, superhuman powers or like is overpowered. It's always mm-hmm. just just beyond what a normal person can do and then you have to kind of interpret whether or not it's magic or just skills. Yeah. Alright? Okay, cool. Alright, cool. So, will we plow on to chapter three? We met the Osteomancer, yeah? Yeah, the Osteomancer does his magic show, tells us about the the wider events of the world, character feels like the oration is directed at them. Just as the show is finishing up, the father, the dad, returns into Grandma's house carrying a stranger. Dun dun dun! Dun dun dun! Uh, MT2 follows him in. Now, chapter four. Well, hang on, whoa! We got, we got some things to talk about here. So, the Osteomancer performs a pat on Fane role of letting us know about what's going on in the world. So, here we'll get exposition about, like, the corrupt government, that sort of thing. I want the Osteomancer to pop up every now and then throughout the story, right? Right. As what may or may not be a different person. Oh, weird. Okay? So, like, this idea that it could be magic. So, he'll, like, pop up, like, say, on a distant planet. And you'd be like, oh, that's the Osteomancer from my my slum. But it could just be someone that's almost like, it looks like they're wearing the face of that person. They could be someone else. So, there's this idea that is this Osteomancer just traveling around the place and you happen to see them? Or are they literally just this person that takes that form magically everywhere, you know? Mm-hmm. So this is this idea I had more about kind of like the idea that uh, is it magic or is it just cheap tricks done really, really well? Okay. Yeah. 
Okay? Yep. Cool. Right. Chapter four. Chapter four. Okay, so Gamma and the Watch stand around, the the dad and the new arrival, the stranger. He was, the father was at work doing a routine after hours X retrieval. So that's the first time that we explicitly see a reference to this substance. And we and we get this, uh, uh, if I write the thing, we'll get this idea that this, this slum is sort of run on uh, X. Like it's all about all the jobs that people have are all surrounding X. They're basically just rebels. As part of the legitimate economy, or...? No, well, I suppose it's a part of the legitimate economy of the rebels, yes, but not... The, the government doesn't like this uh, at okay. all, and, and they, don't, they, don't, they don't tolerate this at all. It's all illegal activities. So the dad arrives home with the stranger that he has found at the plant while he was doing the X-retrieval. The X-retrieval, long-time viewers of the podcast, listeners of the podcast, is the idea of, like, the Stargate device, whereby you put stuff through, uh, and mm-hmm. the, 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 the matter in quotes, disappears, uh, but the X is left. So the dad works a legitimate job at like this plant where you're used to, where you, they mass dispose of things. But after hours, he sneaks in and retrieves X for the rebels. Okay. All right. And what happens is that the stranger, there was a malfunction and uh, there was a power surge and the stranger appears out of nowhere. This like unconscious stranger appears out of nowhere. And the dad's like, holy, holy crap, what do I do? So he brings it back. Mm. So there's been a malfunction, and we'll find out later on why that happened. Stuff is not meant to come out of the recycling thing. It's only meant to go in. Yeah, it goes okay. in, and the X gets left behind. Exactly, but nothing comes back out the other way. This is a one-off freak event that sets the chain of events in emotion. Okay. Yep. So uh, this, this stranger is alive, but just about, just mm-hmm. barely. The heightened police presence and miraculous appearance of the stranger make the watch in the neighborhood uh, suspicious that something is going wrong. Mm-hmm. They agree to post sentries around the perimeter, uh, but outside a call of police rings out, so there's some kind of attack. 5 <laughs> right. there's, there's, there's an attack, yeah. Uh, so this is, this is in, in Eye of the World, this is the bit where the Trollocs attack. Trollocs attack, yes. Yeah, so the, the general police people are going to be analogous to the Trollocs, and then these oddly dressed strangers or suspiciously dressed uh, strangers are kind of like Smith from the Matrix, and they're going to be like the Merdral. They're like the leaders of these various groups of SWAT. They're going to be like oh, oh like the, the Merdral, yeah, 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 yeah. So the police, so that, and then that sets up the next chapter where the police break in. We have a confrontation between the main head Merdral analog and the rest of the people in the house. The agent being the the, the murderal. The agent is basically yeah the murderal, and we have this we have this thing where we we have conflict that gets set up. Grandma's house is essentially a human trafficking operation. Cool, right? Whereby she runs like a foster home. Like it, it, you can view it two ways: either she runs a foster home for street kids and like puts mm-hmm. them back on their feet. Or the way the government looks at it, and they don't like it, is that they kidnap people from the street and they train them to become fighters, rebel fighters. Yeah. So grandma is this lovely old woman who is either a a saint or a really bad person. And it's meant to be really ambiguous as to which it is. You're meant to pick a side, basically, as you read. Yeah. 
Right? So which I, I like that. I was kinda of like, oh Edgar, that's that's not terrible. That's alright actually. Yeah. Bit of ambiguity. Bit of ambiguity, exactly. So you can and as well, so you can side with the agent when they comes in. Like the agent goes, I don't like this human trafficking thing. So you could be like, No, I'm with the government on this. Mm-hmm. Or you can decide not to be, you know? Um so anyhow, the agent bursts in, we get all that sort of conflict and there's a big standoff sort of thing. And as the agent leaves uh, we hear the we hear the stranger stir in the background because the the agent is looking for the stranger. Like he has described the stranger and said that this person has been spotted and they want to find this person. And he hears someone in the mm-hmm. background coming round, and he knows he knows that these people have her, uh, have uh, he uh, him or her. I haven't decided on gender. He knows these people are uh, have someone, but he can't prove it. But he knows it, and he will be back. And again, this is analogous to eye of the world where we have continuing merge roll attacks mm-hmm. all right yeah yeah okay chapter six chapter six the police leave the artisan who is one of the the two members of the watch that the main character didn't recognize asks the soldier the other person who who wasn't recognized to heal the stranger i'm gonna guess the artisan and the soldier are lan and moraine yes exactly um the fact the the soldier is called the soldier makes me think that it's Lan, but the fact that they are healing makes me think that they're Moraine. Yeah, the soldier is Moraine. Okay. And the uh, the artisan is is kind of like Lan. The the backstory to these two, which you'll find out later in the story, is that they are uh, an ex soldier and commander who have become uh, disillusioned with the rebel uh, thing. They're no longer involved in the military. Uh, they've basically come home to the hood to live out the rest of their days because the soldier was infused with X. So he will eventually die. He or she will eventually die. And yeah. there's a nice, I think there's a nice dynamic there because you have the person who commanded the soldier, the artisan, uh, he, he commanded him to be injected with X. And so he sentenced him to death. But yet the two of them have this sort of relationship where they still like each other, even though this has occurred and they just are willing yeah. to live out their days in anonymity until the soldier just dies and the artisan has to live with that. Right. So that's, that's what I had. That's pretty cool. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> of course, it's not going to play out exactly like that because they're going to be taken off on this adventure. But that's, yeah. that was their intention. And this is why the main character doesn't recognize them because they've been gone fighting on different planets and different moons and sort of that. Um, so they're, they're, of the, they're of the hood but have been gone a long time and are returning home. Yeah? Okay. Cool. Yeah. So the, the, what you call it, the, they heal the main character, or they mm-hmm. heal the stranger, yes? They heal the stranger. The soldier is convinced that the stranger was and might still be infused with X, this power-giving substance, but they don't have any scars, which, you know, the traumatic pr- process of receiving the X would, would leave them with scars. The soldier then recalls the exploits of a famed resistance fighter, who we're going to call main character one. Mm-hmm who gave their life for the rebellion. The stranger seems to fit the profile of main character one, like they resemble them physically or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, the soldier then says they have to be, that this uh, stranger must be brought away to a rebel base. And the watch say that the, the stranger is a threat to their hood, so they want them to be brought away as well. Yeah, so they all decide, let's get rid of this person quick. Yeah. All right. The soldier and the artisan agree to take the stranger away, Dad offers to show them to the nearest rebel base, and main character 2 demands to come along, at least to a certain point. 
and that's it and that that's it oh so, no that's the, it for that chapter that's it for that chapter so and this is the uh, in eye of the world this is the bit where you know the 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 ragtag band assemble basically yeah so so the meta commentary here the meta thing here is that this the the, the stranger is this famed resistance mm-hmm. fighter and uh, their backstory is that they there was a raid on one of these retrieval plants they were going to be captured by SWAT teams and forced to reveal information on how the rebels continuously get X. Right. So instead of being captured, what this person does was they willingly go through the sort of Stargate device, in essence, killing them, in quotes, and leaving behind the X. Right. So that's how they gave their life for the rebellion, by not being forced to inform. They, they, they basically committed suicide. Uh, but we know, we find out later that you don't commit suicide by, suicide by doing that. You end up being spat out in Hanwavia. So the so the, the stranger yes. has been living uh, their life on Hanwavia. And there's a thing that happens in Hanwavia that heals her of the uh, detrimental effects of X. So she comes back uh, through a mechanism, which I haven't really figured out. She comes mm-hmm. back, now the ideal ex-soldier. She will not die. She has been infused with it. And it is it is her job to to basically like set the wrongs of this world right, given that she's been given this sort of gift. But how does she have X in her? She has X from... Oh, from... Yeah, yeah, okay, that's... Yeah, problem, yeah, sorry. I didn't even think that. <laughs> I have to work on that. The basic shtick is that she is sent away and the... The problem with the rebellion is solved in her going away, and she comes back and uses that solution to heal everything that's going on. I have to work out the details of how that works. Yeah, but that's the stick. She would have lost all her ex yeah. when she went through the device. To you're, yeah, you're dead right now that you say it. It seems so obvious. <laughs> but yes, uh, but so that's that's the stick with with her. The, the stranger is is this famed character. And I keep saying her because I'm leaning very heavily that it would be a female. Yeah. Uh, although I haven't set up any sort of gender. The idea being that all these characters will have an even split of uh, male-female and an even split of kind of ethnicities, try and just get in the most diversity as possible. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. And then the final chapter, chapter seven, there will be more, but the final chapter for this is basically one of Rand's prophetic dreams. Mm-hmm. And so what is happening is that the stranger, even though uh, she is unconscious, she her memories of Han Wavier are being transferred to the main character. And that person is experiencing what's going on or what went on in Han Wavier in their dreams. And as the story ticks on, those dreams will be put more and more into context. And eventually that will be used as a resolution where you're kind of like, oh, this is what's going on. They were in Han Wavier. Oh, I, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Makes sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Cool. So, we got to the end. How? What do you think? Uh, That's it, pretty cool. Yeah, so it's not complete trash. It's not, not, No, not at all. Okay. If I didn't tell you it was basically a rip-off of Eye of the World, would you be like, this is a rip-off? Or would you be like, no, that's a story in its own right? I mean, it's... They're, they're both pretty strong, common structures for opening a thing, I think. Okay. I, I don't think there's anything unique to Eye of the World about 
that, which is, is the whole point, because, or the whole point of what you said the last time, because it's very similar to mm. Lord of the Rings. So it's it's not that it's necessarily, well, I mean, you, you structured it as copying Eye of the World, but you could easily come at a, a very, very similar structure by a lot of other means, because it's just a common way of opening a thing. Okay, so really the second act will be where you either make it or break it in terms of ripping off someone else. <laughs> Once you're out of exposition territory and into actual the bulk of the book. I guess, yeah. But I mean, like, there's only there's only so many, like, possible stories. You know, there's only so many ways that the character interactions and their mutual arcs can, can go. So, I mean... You know, it's, it's it's extremely difficult to really write anything that's entirely original. So I, I, that's not a huge concern okay. for me. All right. Yeah, because I, the more I reworked it, I was kind of like, this this sounds a little bit like it's becoming its own thing. Like it started yeah. off as a complete joke. Like, let's like completely take the piss out of Eye of the World. And now I'm kind of like, actually, it's all right. <laughs> it kind of works. But obviously there's there's kinks and flaws I need to get over. Mm. I, I have some questions for people, for you, Bill, and for people in the community who write. How do you address the issue of character names? Like in these synopsises, synopsises? Is that the right synopsis. word? Synopsis. Synopsis. In, so. in these synopsis, I have used just generic names like Stranger, Main Character 1, mm-hmm. Main Character 2. Because like when I started writing it, within the space of maybe four or five sentences, I was like, oh, I have five characters here. And I, I need to have five names. And then it, the city needs to have a name. And the neighborhood needs to have a name. The magical thing needs to have a name. Like, I didn't anticipate how quickly when writing something, you have a bucket load of names to ha- to come up with. So yeah. how how do you tackle that? Like, do you have names before going in? Or do you write generically and fill in the names later? Well, I, I don't really write a lot of stories. Well, um, no, but you write stuff that has names like you write fictional stuff i realize you don't write stories but you write like fictional excerpts yeah um sometimes like i i just have characters in my head that don't have names so i I will think of it as the recipient of the letter or the philosopher or the general or whatever okay Um, so you do think in generic terms yeah, but like when I when I want to write things down, when I when it comes to having a name, I'll just kind of force a name into it. Um, I go, I go by the mouthfeel. Like, <laughs> what does what does it feel like? Does it feel right? Does it feel right for the other names around it? Does it feel right for the kind of the language, etc.? And and does that work for you? Yeah, yeah. I I do have I do have a list of of some names that I like. Occasionally, I like a name will pop into my head and I'll write it down and I'll then use that at a later point when I think it, I've got a, a character that it, it works nicely for. Or sometimes I just think it'll be a cool name and I want to save it for a character that I like. So, like, oh, well, that's, that's a good name. I'll, I'll wait till I've got something worth worthy of a good name. And the, these names are all mouthfeel generated. Like, you, you just... Mm, I, you I guess, yeah. Okay, because you know that there's that story about J.K. Rowling. Uh, she got her names from, I think it was Graveyards? She would go into graveyards and just read the... That's cool, yeah. Yeah, because, like, obviously you have graves that date back, way back when, and you have, like, more archaic names, for, for want of a better word. Um, so I, the, the question I would like to pose then to everyone is, how do you come up with names? Like, do you do the J.K. Rowling thing, or do you just do mouthfeel, or 
do they bo- do they bother you at all? Maybe people just write in like first person until they have a name. I don't know. Um, that's a thing I'd be really interested yeah. in hearing what people what people think. You know, I I, I suppose I also just kind of see phrases and 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 smash those around. You see phrases. Yeah, like if if there's like a, like a thing in another language, if I see a word in another, in another language or a phrase in another language, I kind of mess around with that till it seems like something that that could pass as a name. Okay, All I've right. actually just found the text document that I forgot I had that had um, it actually had had place names, a, a handful of place names, Ooh. and two person names, and I've copied in a few that I made like a, a week or so, well, about uh, two weeks or so ago. So the, the really old names, do they still ring true to you? Like, do you look at them and go, those are solid names? Well, I realized that one of them now was actually, um, I misheard the name of a real person who was an artist that did a lot of uh, the posters for the original Star Wars trilogy. Oh. Who was, who was called like Drew something. And I, uh, Drew, Drew Struzan or something. And okay. I heard it as Drew Struzan. And I didn't, like, I heard it in some context I didn't realize it was a real person or it was a, I, I mangled it somehow, and then I realized that, no, that's actually a, a real thing, so I can't really use that one now. <laughs> well, that's another valid thing. Mis- mishearing things can lead to names as well. Yeah, Mondegreens. Mondegreens? Yeah, do you know what a Mondegreen is? No, I have no idea what a Mondegreen is. It's when you mishear the the lyrics or something, or a phrase, or you, you mishear lyrics, but it still makes a, a coherent phrase. Like, it's something that would probably be a bit weird, but... It still sounds like something real. That's class that there's a name on that. Mondegreens. Yeah, Mondegreen. That is cool. I I like that. Mondegreen is itself a Mondegreen. Because it's from um, a a lyric which was, And laid him on the green. That was misheard by people as Lady Mondegreen. That's brilliant. That is yeah. awesome. That is good. That, speaking of naming things, that's a wonderful way of naming that phenomenon, isn't it? <laughs> Love that. My my personal favorite one. Okay, is from Jay Z. <laughs> right on the song "So Appalled" off a Kanye West album, "My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy." Okay, and he says something about the dark night feeling die and be a hero right and every time i mishear that as dark night feeling diarrhea hero (laughs) class i'm pretty sure there must be a whole economy on youtube build on these mondegreens like well there's misheard lyrics videos oh okay so that is a thing like where people just like intentionally or otherwise post up the exact song just with captions of what they heard are animations of, of the misheard lyrics. Yeah, yeah. I, the, yeah, I was I was thinking that that had to be a thing. Like, <laughs> but anyway, anyway, let's get back to this for a second. I have more questions to ask authors out there. <laughs> Next question I want to know off you, Bill, and everyone else is: When you write a thing, how much of the thing do you know? I mean, when I start writing a thing, do I know exactly how it's going to end? That kind of. Yeah, yeah. Like, do you just start, like, free associating, basically? You just write, and then suddenly a story pops out? Or are you kind of like, no, I want to tell this story. This is how the story's going to go. The the I, only thing left for me is to, you know, fill in the details. I guess I have a, a kind of an idea of what I want it to be overall. And so I start out, like, 
Well, hmm, let me think about this. Sometimes I'd have an, an overall idea of what I want the kind of the general impression or the general shape to be. Sometimes I would have an idea for a single scene. Okay. And then I would kind of just kind of write and see what happens. I, I, don't, I, I don't generally tie myself down to my initial impression. Now, bear in mind that I don't, you know, actually produce anything, so I'm not really necessarily someone to listen to on this. No, no, but you um, know, no, Hanks, I'm going to stop you there, man. You, you do write things, and the things you write are good. Like, you don't... Like I, know, I, I, I have very, a very low output, then. Yeah, yeah, but that's, that's not a marker of skill, like. Mm, I think it's relevant to this question. How, how is output relevant to the question of do you know what you're going to write? Because I do it so little that I'm not really qualified to comment well on my own process because it's a thing I, I, I do not much of. So people who write more will be able to give better thought answers. Yeah, okay. No, that, yeah, that makes sense. Sorry, yeah, that, that does make sense. <laughs> um, yeah, well then, like again, I want to open up this, this, this to Artifexia. I know we have one person who uh, wrote a novel. You know that in November, everyone write a novel in November? Nanoremo, yeah. Yeah, there was one person who was who was considering doing that or done it. Mm-hmm. So I know we have people here who do write, and I just want to pick the brains of writers um, mm-hmm. and uh, a open call to everyone to go uh, into the show notes and look through this synopsis and really pick it apart and tell me what it's what's wrong and why you know writers wouldn't do this and all this stuff. Like this, this whole concept of what it is to write and be a writer is very fascinating to me because I can't do it. Uh, and yeah. it's just it's very interesting. NaNoWriMo is something I'd like to do, but I just getting the time, especially like with a trying to do another like creative job, is is very very difficult. Like I considered doing it last year, but I had a, a like a I had to write a piece instead. I yeah, write, I had to write music instead, which was um, great because I wrote a really good piece of music. But you know, it's it's uh, it's difficult to to do two creative things. What is the restrictions on that write a novel November thing? Like, what 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 did he mean by novel? Um, it's uh, there's a word limit to try and write a certain word limit in the month of November. Um. Okay, and off the top of your head, is this is this word limit like a as in a novel word limit, or are we talking novella, or it's it's like, like do people actually genuinely write an entire book in one month? Like that 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 to me, like you know, when people go like, oh, you're musical, that's like magic. The 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 ability to write is like magic to me. Like I don't understand fifty thousand words. Fifty like that's okay. Well, what is that in context? Like what is it like? Is that a novel? What's uh hold on, hold on. Okay, well, let's see. How many words in Harry Potter? <laughs> in Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, uh, it's 76,944 words. So 50,000 is a modest novel. Okay, yeah, I, I, I got uh, figures of 60,000 to 80,000 for a novel. So, yeah, so just below that. Like, that's incredible. Like, that's just, that's utterly mind-blowing to me. I don't understand how human beings can do that. Oh, yeah. And then, again, this part, part of the reason why I wanted to write this stuff is to just like use it as a platform to talk to writers about writing. I have a thing I want to point out about the story, Bill. Is I just want to talk a little bit about how I'm going to deal with my characters. Yeah. So my story has five main characters and they are the artisan, the soldier, okay. the main character, 
The Stranger, and Dad. Right. And uh, I have kind of deliberately and strategically chosen five. And the reason for this is My Little Pony. So okay. I, <laughs> so I have recently watched a bit of My Little Pony on the sort of like request of a friend. And my sister's big into it as well. So I've used as family bonding time to like sit down, watch a, little, watch a little bit of My Little Pony and understand that as a cultural thing, right? Mm-hmm. The show is very fun. It's a good show. It's a little bit simplistic for, for my for my want in a thing. But it's good. It's happy. It makes you feel great afterwards. But the thing that's very, very interesting about it is that it and many other girl cartoons, like say the likes of Powerpuff Girls, have this paradigm whereby they set up a couple of female characters and they give them traits like the stereotypically feminine character. And mm-hmm. then they'll have one that's like stereotypically masculine. And I'm using these words loosely and for want of a better word. And yeah. then... Ex- exhibiting the characteristics that are culturally designated as feminine or masculine. Exactly, exactly. So you have the you have the, that feminine character, that masculine character, and then you often have like a neutral character that is neither. Yeah. And the point being that, well, it's fun to have many characters with different aspects yeah. to them, but also to send this message across to young girls that it's okay to not adhere to any one role. Like you don't yeah. have to be a little princess or you don't have to be a tomboy. You can be whatever it is you want. And here's a selection of characters who are all amazing in their own right. Yeah. And so girls with different personalities can have a variety of role models. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, My Little Pony takes this one step further whereby they take this traditional three and they blow it up. They split it down the middle into six. So mm-hmm. they have... They have the masculine and the feminine, but they split them into two by introversion and extroversion. So you have one character that is like the ex- an extremely extroverted feminine character, stereotypically mm-hmm. feminine. One that's extremely introverted and stereotypically feminine. And then the same thing on the masculine side. And then you have two neutral characters. So they do this as a means to explore this concept further and give even more sort of diversity for young people to like, use as role models cool which i think which i think is genius <laughs> on the part of the show it's just amazing and i'm going to link uh, to a talk by a doctor oh the name the name slips my mind but it'll be in the show notes and the talk is called playfully transgressing normative codes and it's fascinating and i think writers should should watch this i think it's great uh, but the point is i i want to do something similar here but not with gender, because I don't feel like I have the skills to adequately talk about that without doing disservice to someone. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I think I'm going to take an aspect of human emotion and split mm-hmm. it down the middle and then have one that is one, have one sort of area where it's on the left hand side and one area where it's on the right and one area where you have a neutral thing. So the idea that the artisan and the soldier will be polar opposites of one aspect of the human condition mm-hmm. and then the stranger and dad will be polar opposites of another aspect of the human condition and then the, the main character will act as the sort of neutral glue and that will be the sort of like lens through which we view this world and allow us to debate the pros and cons of the various different standpoints these characters have mm-hmm. 
So that 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 bit again, it's not original because I'm stealing it from My Little Pony. But I I want to highlight <laughs> I, I want to highlight that as a very 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 cool thing that exists in in a in a show, uh, and yeah. I want to steal it and play with it to better understand it. And I and I just need to bring that up because it's it's great. That that is pretty cool. Um, and there there are other ways of doing similar things, like you said, you know, not necessarily with gender, but you could have, you know, you know the uh, the humors theory. It's like a it's an archaic thing of uh, human health. Oh yeah 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 yeah. So the the four humors um, was it blood, bile, color, and then black bile and yellow bile or something. Yeah, something. So like that, it's yeah. it's the four the the four kind of moods. You can be melancholic, phlegmatic, choleric, and I don't know what the, what the fourth one is. But you know, the four types of personalities mm. are like splitting things up in a Freudian way. Oh, so you've got like the you know you know the way Freud and I I, I want to make it abundantly clear I don't think this is real or <laughs> about worthy to say. of any consideration as a, a scientific way of viewing the world. But you know these things can always be interesting from a, a point of view of literature and understanding human experiences, etc. But he he split up personality into three parts: the id. Which is like the like the totally base part, and a useful scrapper word to know. <laughs> Go on, um, <laughs> the ego, which is kind of higher functions, and then super ego, which is like the the total, um, like to- totally intellectual side of things. I think I mean, like, I'm not, I'm probably not giving it a very accurate explanation, but it's roughly that. Yeah, but also who cares? Because like it's nonsense. <laughs> No, but it's, as I said, it's useful for understanding works that have been inspired by it because, you know, Freud was very influential in, in a lot of lot of artistic fields. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I didn't know that about, about Freud, about the different ways of splitting things up. I think that's mm. a very interesting way to approach things. Prior to watching My Little Pony uh, and hearing you talk about these things, I always thought characters were just characters. Like, they were there to serve a story. But, like, I don't know. this uh, The idea of using a character to discuss an aspect of the human condition. Maybe that seems natural to everyone else, but to me it wasn't. And this is a very profound new thing that I've come across. Mm-hmm. Um, but there you go, Bill. There you go. That is the first seven chapters of the novel that I will never write. Can can all writers in comments please talk to me uh, about writing? I'd love that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's two things I want to bring up. Okay, um, yeah. I think I wanted to bring one of these up earlier and we got sidetracked. No, that's fine. Uh, you, you know what I like about, about what you've written here, Edgar? Oh, okay. Uh, I don't. I don't. Go on. Do you want to guess? It's rendered in Courier New. No, not that. <laughs> I, can, I can't see you, Bill, but just, like, your tone of voice is so, like, oh, Edgar, shut up. <laughs> I, I'm sure you're perfectly aware of how little I am interested in fonts. I, I, I'm not. We'll leave. Right, let me put down fonts on the list of stuff that I want to talk to you about. Okay, what is it? What is it that I've? I I don't know. I don't know because I I think what I've written is meh. I don't think there's anything particularly brilliant about it. It's full of the neutral they. Oh uh, yeah. I let's talk about that. Go <laughs> neutral they. Go for it. It's just like a lot of people think that it's bad English or it's wrong or whatever, and I think that's absurd. And I really like it. It's used being normalized. Uh, okay, I am in the camp that there is a there is a need for uh, a they pronoun. 
Okay. For a neutral, a neutral singular pronoun. Exactly. There is there's, a new one. Yeah. Yes. Uh, writing this, uh, I'm all for people using they. If you want to use they, I think that's great. I don't think it's bad English. But as I was writing this, it was so difficult to write because there was bits where I had to use they in a non-singular way and in a singular way in the same bit, and there was no way of differentiating. And I just had to mm-hmm. rewrite entire swads of it because. It was like using they for the stranger and then they to describe the watch all in the one scene just was a train wreck. So someone needs to invent a new word that is just that is that that's its function. Like I'm firming the camp that we need to invent one. Well, there are several. Are, are there actual ones that are standardized that everyone knows about? No. Oh, okay. Well, what are these several examples? I haven't come across any. Uh, Z as an X E. As an X E or Z E, I think so. Yeah. Oh, that... I mean, I, I I've come across them. I haven't really thought about them in a while because I just much prefer they. I think they is is much uh, better. Do you think? Wh- why is it in light of what I said? Why is it better? Because I've out, out, I've outlined a reason where it just it makes no sense to me. Anyways, writing and it was uh, cumbersome to me. But why is it good for you? Well, that that is an ambiguity that exists in English anyway. If you want to talk about say, two, two people both identified with she in the same sentence or in the same passage, that can be confusing. So I don't think we're adding anything new by saying, oh, there's a problem where you want to use singular they and plural they. That's not a big deal for me because that kind of thing happens a lot already. And we actually do use it already all the time. Everyone already does. So I don't know why people make a, make a, a fuss about it. The example I always use is, say, you're in a restaurant and you get to go to a table, and the people who were previously there, they, they've left something behind. You say, oh, they left their wallet behind. People say that kind of thing all the time. They don't go say, he or she has left his or her wallet behind. It already exists in English. I think, yeah, when people get angry about it, they're, like, they're, they're just being idiotic. Like, yeah. I've no, I do not entertain this idea that it's bad or wrong, or you should get riled up by it. I don't, I can't... I can't express why it doesn't act as a hindrance in spoken language, but when I went to write it down, it does. Because like, I, and I can't emphasize how much it, it, it hindered my writing and how much it slowed down the process, mm-hmm. having to check the days uh, all the time. Um, there's, there's, there's a difference there between spoken and written language that, yeah. that I can't express, but I think exists and I think could be uh, addressed with a a new third person neutral pronoun, uh, the Z and the Z or whatever they they look weird. Don't like them. Uh, they 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 stick out like a sore thumb. I I realize this is all uh, like subjective, but something about them, and maybe because it sounds like German a little bit, I'm like, oh no, that's wrong. We can't use them. <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm firmly in the camp that needs to exist, but I take your point. It happens in everyday language. I fully, I fully take your point. Um, I don't know. I have no conclusion. I've reached no conclusion here. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I like, I like that. I like to see it used normalized. Yeah, I, I think. Well, maybe if we were to like gather both our opinions and try and mold them into one, I think the take home here is that it's important to have something there. Yeah, you know, it's important to be able to express that. Gone are the days where where we can just say he. And everything's fine. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's not cool. And it never was cool, to be fair. So, that's, I think the take-home here is use, use the, uh, use that. 
Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, fonts, Bill. Why are you not fussed with fonts? Fonts are amazing. Why would I be? Why would I care about fonts? Why would it, Why would this be any different <laughs> if it was in like Comic Sans? Well, like Cambria, for example. I'm going to put it in the Cambria. Yeah, don't care at all. <laughs> but do, do fonts not like give you a uh, like? There's a world building aspect to fonts. Like, for example, you put something in Courier, it looks like it's written on a typewriter. That immediately, like, sends you off to a different world. You put yeah, some- no, totally. Totally. Yeah. I, I, see, I see what you mean. It's just it's not something that I get emotional about at all. Really? Like, no. Why would I? It's just, it's a font. Okay. I, I don't know. Like, I, did you ever think about, like, in the meta sort of way about the idea? Like, you're probably going to be like, yeah, of course, who cares? But, like, a really interesting thought for me is, like, the idea of, like... A font cannot be fontless. Like, that's a really interesting thing, isn't it? What? I don't know what you mean by that. Like, you can't express writing without having it rendered in a font. Right. right? So every single time we write something, we are imposing an, an aesthetic upon that. And that's something that maybe people don't think about. Like, when you read... Oh, yeah, I get you. Like, there's no such thing as an absence of style. There's no such thing as a totally neutral style. Everything has a style. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And it's something yeah. that we don't engage with. like All that Susan Sontag stuff. Susan Sontag? Yeah. Uh, do, do you want to elaborate? I can't remember what that feel. I read this like one thing by her once, <laughs> which was basically making the case that there's no such thing as a thing, as like a an art without style. Even the attempts to consciously reject style is a stylistic choice and it will be informed by the creator's own biases. There's a word for there's a word for all this stuff. Uh, is it hermeneutics? Uh, you're asking the wrong person here, Bill. <laughs> there, there's there's two words that I always confuse. Yeah, I think I think it's hermeneutics is is I suppose a kind of philosophy of style and interpretation. Okay. And I think I think she broadly kind of comes under that that sort of uh that sort of umbrella. Yeah, so it, it, it's it's that it's that argument that no matter what you do, it, you the, everything will have a style. Anything that is created will have style in it, or will have a you will be making stylistic choices consciously or unconsciously. Right. So then, d- does that not like open up this idea of fonts are innately interesting from that perspective? Like you read something on the web and you're like, that's put in this font. That's very interesting, and then you begin to think about the aesthetics of it as on top of what's like what words are being conveyed. I recognise that this mode of engagement exists. It doesn't interest me at all. (laughs) I really like fonts. I spent way too much time trying to come up with a set of fonts to use in the videos. Like you'll see, you'll see me experimenting and stuff, and I've like. The consideration of using serifs and sans serifs and like uh, when a font is bold, how bold is it? Can it be italicized? That's re- like that, that for me is actually really important like design decision that I make in my videos. Oh, I, I can see it from a design point of view, I guess. Yeah, like like you, there's certain fonts that will look well or, you know, if you want something that's like fast and exciting, you want a certain kind of font for that. But for just like reading things. No, 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 but Bill, you're missing my point. What I mean is you can bring some of that into the reading experience. Like those times... I, I, you... I, no, I get you. I get your point. <laughs> I just don't care. <laughs> okay, like, so... Obviously, I wouldn't want to read a fantasy novel in the font that the Star Trek logo is in. <laughs> <laughs> for example but it's just like 
I don't know. I, I'm not someone who can get who can get excited about fine distinctions in in fonts at all. Really, and like the like the I go even one step further. I find it fascinating. Uh, spacing, spacing is fascinating in the book for me. Like if you riffle through a book and you notice how how much the lines are spaced, like that immediately like has an impact on how I interpret the words. Like if it's if it's very very like if the if the spacing is quite large, I get this sense of like a very kind of like a clean sort of world. Everything is like you know nice and clean and ordered. And when it's slightly crammed, I I get drawn into sort of like I almost think of like crammed text uh, sends me to that library in Lord of the Rings where Gandalf goes. Right. Like that that transports me to that sort of word. So I actually deeply. Sure deeply care about these things. And I know, I know, I know we're kind of bashing around the same point. You get what I'm saying, but you don't agree with me. I'm trying to... No, it's not that I don't agree with you. It's just, I, I recognize that it exists. It just doesn't... Yeah, and I appreciate that, that, like, copy editors or whoever, you know, go to the effort of choosing correct fonts and correct spacing. And, like, it, it probably does make a, a subconscious effect, like, um, effect on, on how I interpret things. It's just don't care about it <laughs> and then justification bill I, I could go on for ages for someone who doesn't read that much uh it's actually strange how much how deeply i care about these things <laughs> but anyhow so uh where where are we at all uh I, i've completely lost track where we are oh yeah we we're doing a synopsis of things uh i think that's probably is regarding the book that i will never write yeah yeah oh, I, I i enjoyed it okay hopefully one day i might actually write the actual story that might be nice um, and uh yeah let me know in, let me know in the reddit and email and all that let us know what you thought and get involved in the discussion yeah mm-hmm. awesome sauce right shall we shall we go to the green room uh yeah well as i said there was another thing i was going to say but we can talk oh, about it in the no, green room sorry i keep i keep doing that i keep cutting you off when you're the that. second so, time that's happened i'm i'm sorry <laughs> what, what is this other thing well no let, let's talk it, it fits it fits nicely in the green room no no we're gonna do it now bill because you want to do it now no we're gonna do it in the green room no we'll do it now <laughs> so edgar welcome to the green room oh doubt i've given him the power to decide where we go with the show <laughs> And now he's he's abusing this power in front of me. <laughs> okay. I promise to only use it for evil. We should probably try and put in a sound to indicate that we're in the green room. So, so you you were, have been watching some cartoons with your sister recently. Uh, yes, yes. So have I. Oh, very good. What have you been watching? Um, I've been watching a cartoon called Steven Universe. This is something that the same friend who recommended My Little Pony uh, recommended to me. He was, he was like, you got to check this out. I have not checked cool. this out. It's meant to be cool. very, very good. Well, I'd say it took, it took me a couple of episodes to, to wonder. I didn't like the first two episodes at all. Okay. Um, and, the, you know, there are, there are minor criticisms I have about it. Uh, you know, there's a weak episode every so often. But, you know, episodes are only 10 minutes long, so it's, it doesn't matter. Ten, 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 oh, God, 10 minutes. Well, like, you know, they're, they're aired in, like, two or three at a time, let's say. You know, a lot of cartoons will, will do that. They'll have, you know, the, the half-hour slot, and with, with commercial breaks, there'll be two separate stories in it. Oh, is that a thing that happens a lot with cartoons? I think Adventure Time does the same. I've never seen Adventure Time either. Uh, I can't stand Adventure Time, personally. But... That's one of those things that are recommended to me as well. People are like, That's, this is great, great cartoon making. You should watch it. Hmm. I get the impression it's got very good world-building. 
Okay. Oh, um, it's got it's got a very strong kind of story throughout, which is very very kind of subtly told, but you can you can piece it together. All the clues are there. I just find it a bit kind of deliberately weird. That is more interested in being weird than it is in being a TV show. Ah, okay. Yeah, I can't stand that stuff. When things like that happen, it's just it's nah. Um, but anyhow, anyhow, Steven Universe. What are you going to say about Steven Universe? It's really good, and people should watch it. And it's got incredible music in it. Oh. There it's you got go. Really, really good music. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a story about a little boy called Steven Universe, who is uh, raised by these three superpowered women. I guess. Yeah. They go off and have adventures and save the world and things. And Steven Universe, he has some powers as well, and they develop over the the course of the show. And he goes off and helps them fight evil and save the world and it's all just you know good fun and very lovely and it gets really complex and really well written as it progresses even over the the course of the first uh series Mm. and because all of because you know a huge number of the main characters are women it's really good from that point of view and shows a lot of different types of women and has romantic relationships between Exclusively female characters, which oh, okay. is great in a kids' show. Good, very good. Um, what was the other point I was going to make? No, it's gone. It's, it's gone. gone. You can't remember your third point, no. Can't remember my other point. Oh, it well, wasn't even that that important. <laughs> it was. It was pretty important. <laughs> Everything you say is important, Bill. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's it's got good world building in it. Okay. Again, uh, quite subtly told at the start, but it does build up into uh, an overall arc um, the, the clues all lead there and when you rewatch the, the early things you can see a lot of stuff pointing towards what you learn later on so it's nicely set up and yeah I think I'd, I'd say people should give it, give it, a, give it a, a shot as I said first few episodes I didn't really like took, took maybe three or four for me to get into it occasionally they kind of end on rather weak beats Okay. Like the kind of the joke at the end, like the punchline at the end isn't very strong. And the art style changes quite a lot. There's a lot of different animators working on it, which can be a little distracting. Oh, But sometimes that's... they do it in its favor that like they, they'll choose an animator who suits a particular story. Okay. Um, okay. So yeah, that, that would be my cartoon recommendation for this, this month. I, for this, because we do it every month, uh, it, it is something I, I am very, very interested in in, in watching. Uh, and I will do, uh, at the moment, I am re-watching and finishing Korra, uh, Legend of Korra. Mm-hmm. So that needs to go first. And then we'll, we'll probably move on to Steven Universe. A couple of things uh, to point out about this is, um, the, the, I, it's so I, when non-Star Trek people talk about, like, oh, the first one or two episodes are like not great you have to like mm-hmm. wade through it i mean it's so funny because like as a like diehard star trek fan the concept of sitting to sitting through like three four seasons of nonsense before it actually hits the ground running is is normal like if this new star mm-hmm. trek that's coming out if the first like five seasons are terrible this is nothing new for us Ah, five is a bit much now, in fairness. Yeah, well, you know what I mean, though. But it's so funny when people go like, oh, the first episode wasn't very good. But after that, it's it's good. You should really stick with it. And you're like, but how do you, like, I don't know. I don't understand. It's really weird. Because sometimes TV shows are good from the start. <laughs> yeah, but I suppose the meta point I'm making here is that Star Trek isn't. Uh, and I fully acknowledge that. Uh, and it's just, it's just. But like, season one of Next Generation is really bad. 
Yeah, it's not great. Season two is where it starts to happen, but midway through. Right. Uh, I only watched a few episodes in season two. Yeah, season two is where uh, the cast even say that that's when they felt like they gelled. They're like, no, mm. we get this now. Um, it, like I said this before, DS9, it doesn't get good until the fourth season. Which oh, is, really? Yeah, the arrival of Worf and the Defiant, and when Cisco gets his, uh, shaves his head. Then we're then we're good. We're good track after that. But before that, it's okay. Because very... because the guy who wrote that forty hours uh, or Star Trek Next Generation in forty hours in his uh, DS Nine guide, he said around season three. I thought. Okay, so I, that's good. Okay, well, if uh, when not. if when Worf and the Defiant shows up uh, is is season three, then I stand corrected. Uh, okay, but that's for me. That's when it happens. Whatever season mm-hmm. that is, I always thought it started four. But um, Generation is getting good in season four. Generation is getting... Next Generation is getting good in season four. That's where yeah. I am at the moment. Yeah, my favourite, like, halfway to five, very, very good. Some strong stuff in five. Six mm. was very good. Seven was a bit meh. It's always, with, with these things, it's always in the middle where it starts to, like, really, really get good. No, no Trek just hits the ground running. Actually, no, mm-hmm. I lie, I lie. The original series did that. The original series was... It started off well and got increasingly crap as it went on. <laughs> it's direct opposite of every other Trek. Anyhow, uh, the other thing I was going to say, kind of on the animation style, but more on this idea of just watching cartoons. I want to implore everyone to watch Legend of Korra. And if you've already watched it, watch it again. Because I, now I'm watching it with a critical eye and just uh, the economy of storytelling in this is just fantastic. Uh, the the way they like because the, the episodes are so short they have to get across so much information in no time at all and they have this beautiful way of like in a sentence or two conveying everything you need to know and the story mm-hmm. moves on and it's just when you notice this and you look for it it's just glorious point one point two on the animation style that you mentioned about Steven Universe there is in the season two of it you have this like dream sequence where they completely flip animation styles. And this is, uh, it made me think of this when you talked about it. And they, like, they've completely changed how the show looks for, like, this the two-part episode. And it's really, really cool. And I, and I remember thinking, that's really great as a deliberate decision. But in Steven Universe, if it happens not deliberately most of the time, that seems strange to me. Really odd. I, I don't know if it's necessarily non-deliberate, but it it it's... It does seem kind of odd in some of them. Like, in, sometimes there's a... For example, I noticed yesterday I watched an episode that had a, a car race, and it was all around a car race, and it was done in kind of an anime-influenced style, like and with, like, specific kind of homages towards, like, the, you know, the, the cut shots with, like, coloured backgrounds and, like, big expressions. Mm-hmm. And that kind of fitted, because it made me think of Speed Racer. Okay, yeah. But then in other ones, they've like ones where the characters have like very, very animated faces and kind of squishy looking faces and uh, like really big wobbly expressions. And I, you know, I couldn't necessarily figure out why that was. Yeah, it's the lack of the why that would bother me. Mm. Like if you're going to do it, like you need to have a reason. I, I, as with everything, do stuff for a reason uh, and not just cause. It doesn't really work that way. Uh, but. Last point I want to I want to bring up on this bill uh, pose a, a question. Why is it that kids cartoons are really good at being progressive? What do you mean? Well, like we have Steven Universe showing it's transgressing normative coding, right? 
right? Right. And we have My Little Pony is transgressing normative coding. Powerpuff Girls are also doing uh, things like that. And it's all, I don't know, it just seems, it seems like it happens, this sort of like more liberal approach to storytelling and more diversity and inclusivity seems to crop up more in cartoons. Legend of Korra as well, actually, I should point out. It seems to crop up more in cartoons than it does in films. And I seem to be let down less in the cartoon world than I am in, say, the film world. Or maybe I'm just completely crazy and I'm the only one who sees this. It's not something I, I've particularly noticed, but I don't watch a lot of cartoons. I don't watch a lot of kids' cartoons. Just, like, off the top of my head, an attempt at a, at a theory hmm. would be that they... You know, you said kids' shows are built around explicitly exploring... Well, not explicitly, but, like, they're explicitly built around exploring archetypes. You know, you have the... the In the Powerpuff Girls, as you said, you've, you know, the... the very femme one, the very masculine one, and then the more neutral one. Right, but that, but so that's... it's easier to work in this kind of exploration into those character relationships because they're such clear archetypes. But adult stuff, the characters don't tend to be built around those simple archetypes. Right, but I suppose then the follow-on question is why? Because it's not. There's because nothing. It's a bit simplistic. Do you think it's a bit simplistic? I think that's... Like, I get that one can do it simplistically, but I think that's that's not simplistic. That's complex, if anything. Like, yeah, you set up a simplistic model, but you that leads you to complexity of storytelling. I don't think there's a, a straight correlation there. And, yeah, I don't think that it does lead to, to complex uh, storytelling, necessarily. And, yeah, I think adult characters need to have more complex characterization. Okay. Alright, okay, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. That that makes sense. I'm not sure I'm I'm not sure I entirely agree, but mm. if, if well, this is just an attempt at explaining what I think might be a, a, a the reason behind what what you've described, but I'm not sure that I fully agree with what you've described. Oh, yeah, no, the, the, yeah, obviously, I could just be misinterpreting all this. Uh, and yeah, it, this doesn't exist. It just exists in my head. But um, the could it be as well that it's easier to get this past networks in a cartoon kid sort of sense? Like, once it's colorful and simplistic, they, they don't really care or look for, say, a subliminal, might be a bad word, but with subliminal messaging and sort of like commentary and things like that. No, could you don't think that there's less scrutiny in that world? Maybe, no, maybe I think there's more. more, probably more scrutiny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know yeah. Steven Universe has been has been censored for being too gay. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So there is more. Okay. No, I don't know. Uh, again, oh, let's open it up to the to the listeners. Uh, does this exist? Edgar's theory that uh, cartoons are more liberal and uh, liberal, and uh, if it does, why does this occur? Why do people think this occurs? Mm. Um, it's a thing that I've been fascinated by, and I've, I haven't been able to find an answer. You know. Anyhow, do you have any other points, or or shall we shall we either wrap it up or attempt to do one green room topic? Okay, let's do one more green room topic. Okay, so you pick at will there, sir. Voodoo pad. Voodoo pad. Well, actually, that's very that's very apt because this is a writing episode. So I have more questions for writers. <laughs> I have recently gotten rid of word processing applications. I don't use them anymore to write. I write in wiki form now. 
So Voodoopad is my wiki app of choice. And I like it for my writing. Uh, the ability to be able to link in document to various other documents is pretty cool. But I, I, got, I got me thinking about what do actual writers or people, not necessarily novelists, but people who do writing, a lot of writing as their job or whatever. What do they use to write? What are their writing tools? I'm going to throw that one at you, Bill. How do you write? What do you write on? Uh, open Office and Notepad. Okay, so and is that because the, that's just the norm? Like it, everyone has a word processing thing and every laptop comes with a Notepad installed? Or is that something you've actively thought about? Like, do you care enough about the writing process to be like, I need to like get it optimized or whatever? I don't do enough of it for it to be worth the time investment of optimizing it right now. All right, and you don't have any hindrances hindrances in that. Like, you've written big works. Like, you've written your scholastic stuff, I'm assuming, on... Ac- yeah, my, all my academic stuff I've done in, in Open Office. And that's worked perfectly okay for you? No, it's not without occasional problems, but I mean, when you're dealing with a like a big thing, then you're going to have occasional problems. No, it's not, not, not been a big deal. Uh, well, I mean, what I could have done with more of when I was in, in the academy and when I was on my, my master's was better referencing software, which I didn't have at the time, which I now do. Oh, well, hang on, whoa, whoa, whoa. Re- referencing software? Such a like, thing exists? Like, stuff to keep all of my references in order so i can open it and be and like quickly search for like a paper that i've referenced and then like the citation will be right there like in that program so i could be like okay that's the citation in the correct style that i want and i can copy it copy it in rather than having to open the document look at all the details edit it together correctly in you know from the way it's presented in the document to the way it has to be stylistically in my work and then I open another document. Oh, that's got its information presented differently. I'll have to edit this differently to copy it into my thing. So yeah, okay. there's like software you can get, which is like databases of books and articles. Oh, do you want to? Do you want to uh, tell me the name? I'm intrigued. The one I use is called Mendeley Desktop, and it's free as far as I know. And so like, okay, I'll open it up here. I, I don't use it very much. I basically normalized all of my documents in it a couple months ago when I was doing my ebook library. So give me a letter. Uh, e for Edgar. E for Edgar. Okay, so who do you have under E? Pick a number between one and... Pick an integer between one and two. Pick <laughs> an integer between... <laughs> I love the way you said integer as well. That's great. Uh, I will go for two. Two. Okay, so here we have a paper called Singing Brings Joy to the Stressed, The Social History of Zulu Migrant Workers' Choral Competitions. That right. is fantastic sounding. By V. Earlman and W. Beinart. So I have all of the details for that here. Well, actually, I don't in this instance. I ought to. But yeah, so I, I will have all of the details here at the side uh, in this, this, in, in this, the side of the window of this uh, program. And I can just quickly copy those into the bibliography and they will be in the correct style. And I can change the display in this program, I think, to other styles. Okay, so hold so, on. Referencing just, styles, I mean. Let, let me just interrupt you here for a second, just to, to see if I got this straight in my mind. This is, is this a database of all papers from some source, or is this a program that enables you to compile your own database? You you can access on online databases. I haven't really bothered with that because I don't have much need for it. But I, I've 
basically I've put all of my own academic PDFs and stuff in one folder. This program watches that folder, and then I have built the database from that. Okay, that is extremely useful. It is very, very useful. Not not so useful for those of us wishing to write uh, cheap knockoff cyberpunk fiction, but in a general writing sort of sense, it's very useful. Yeah, it's actually completely irrelevant to the point you really asked, isn't it? Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. You see, look, this is the thing, Bill, right? The thing is, you, what makes good podcasting is people talking about stuff that they use, do, or and or are interested in. Mm-hmm. That's that's what makes good podcasting. It's it's never about the actual thing itself. And that's why tangents and all that are allowed, you know? So anyhow, I want to ask writers what they use mm-hmm. and why. Uh, is it? Do they use word processing? Do they do wikis? I'm pretty sure I'm alone in using wikis to write things. I think I'm a little bit daft in doing so, but for some reason it just works. It it sounds really useful. Like I th- I I feel like it's something I I should probably do at some stage in my world building stuff because it allows me to keep my thoughts a lot more in order than having all of these different documents just in a folder somewhere with inconsistent naming conventions and. Mm. Yeah. Like, if I change the name of a character in one document, I have to go find them in every other document. Bingo. Exactly. And then even for writing Artifexian scripts, it's it's great. You can just have, like, say, draft script one, and that links to a doc, and then research, and that links to all your research. Another one for, like, the references to put in the doobie-doo. And everything's contained in one place, and you can quickly skip across. And every mm. time you type the title of a new doc, it automatically links it, and... It seems brilliant, but it seems that no one uses uses it. So I don't know. That again, just a little thing I want to put out there for writers of the internet, just to see what it is you do. Because, like I said before, I am entirely fascinated by the magic that you guys do. You guys and girls do. I just don't under, don't understand you, and I want to understand you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go. That was a short, short and fast sort of thing. Right, Bill. Edgar. Two point five hours in. Not bad. Yeah, and multiple internet crashes. <laughs> but we persevered, Edgar. We did. We ploughed through. Hopefully, I'll cut this. Hopefully, the listener will never know how arduous it was. Until they hear this bit, which you've decided to left in for comic reasons. Yeah, but you're going to have to say something funny in order for it to be left in, because everything I say is just bland and meh. Uh, anyhow okay Bill I uh, everything you say is hilarious it's it's not it's not do you know what I need to stop doing I like I, 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 my natural reaction is to do this and it's terrible and I have to erase it from my character banks my character memory banks in my head is like laughing at my own jokes like I do it all the time on this podcast I say something and I'm like oh that's moderately funny and I laugh at it and it's just the most cringy thing to listen back to and I don't understand how people haven't, like, commented about it and told me off for it, because I hate, I hate myself for doing it. It's awful. I don't think it's that bad. Oh, I think it's terrible. And I, it's not even, like, and like I say, I don't think I'm a funny person, so the stuff I say isn't even funny, and I'm there laughing at it like a little child, and it's just, it's just terrible. <laughs> like, my reaction now is to start laughing, and I'm really fighting myself not to laugh. <laughs> you see? Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> Anyhow. Okay, right. Shall we call it there? Let's call it there. Let's call it there. All right. I shall see you in the future. Maybe or maybe not. Who knows? Talk to you later, Edgar out. Edgar out. <laughs> I laughed again. Oh, God damn it.
just go with me. Go with me. Trust me, all right? Okay. Let, let, me, let me just guide you through this, Bill. It's okay. Take my hand, and I will lead you <laughs> forward. It will be entertaining. Don't worry. 